I wonder if Pharaoh thought to himself, who is this poor fool coming before me? Here comes Moses, a former Egyptian elite, and now he's nothing more than a shepherd. Forty years removed, and now he's back standing before Pharaoh. And he says, that is, Pharaoh says, who is Yahweh that I should listen to him? He sees the Hebrews as a pitiful people in a pitiful position serving as his slaves. And he asks, where is the power of their God to bring them out of this? If their God is so powerful that they can only be slaves, why should I listen to him? And in the same way, there are people today look around themselves, and they ask the question, who is God that I should listen to him? Who's God? What role does God serve in my life? What role does God play in this world? Who is God if there is a God? Sometimes we may be tempted to ask that question, who is God that I should listen to him? Some see the God of the Bible as nothing more than a myth followed by the foolish and the uneducated. Some see God with an uncertain eye of who he is or what his character is like. Still others see in the story of the plagues of Egypt and, and they see there something that offers a great insight both of who God is and how we can respond to him. We must all ask the question at some point in our lives, who is God? The Bible offers us answers. What will we do with those answers? This morning we look at the plagues of Egypt and their significance and understanding who God is. We look there and we discover the character of God as they are revealed in those plagues. And I want us to think about four responses that we can make to the character of God as we look at these stories of the plagues. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, please be turning to Exodus chapter 5. And as you turn to Exodus chapter 5, keep in mind that at this point in the story, God has already sent Moses back to Egypt to go and confront Pharaoh to let the people of Egypt, or the people of Israel, rather, go. The situation is that Israel has been enslaved in Egypt for nearly 400 years. Egypt has gone into idolatry and is a polytheistic religion. They have many gods. They have gods for uh, many different aspects of the world. And like many polytheistic cultures, they believe that gods controlled certain portions of what, for lack of a better term, would be called the cosmos or the air, the sea, the land, different aspects of lives. That's what polytheism is. And so Egypt was very much one of those types of nations. And Egypt is as much descendants of Adam and Noah as Israel, and yet they find themselves in this polytheistic culture. And God had made a promise through Abraham, or to Abraham, that through his seed all the nations of the earth would be blessed. In fact, God tells Abraham in Genesis chapter 15, your descendants are going to be enslaved and oppressed in a nation where they are so wanderers or sojourners. 
and they're going to be enslaved and oppressed for 400 years, and then I'm going to bring them out of that land. I'm going to punish that land, and I'm going to bring them back here to the land of Canaan. That's what God had told Abraham. And so, sure enough, Israel finds themselves in Egypt, and now it's time. It's time for God to bring them out of Egypt and punish the nation that has enslaved them. And so God sends Moses to Pharaoh. Genesis chapter 5, verse 2, Moses is standing before Pharaoh. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and besides, I will not let Israel go. As you look at that word Lord in the Hebrew, that's Yahweh. Who is Yahweh that I should listen to him? Moses came before Pharaoh and he said, I want you to let Israel go and serve Yahweh. And Pharaoh looks at Moses and he says, there are lots of gods here in Egypt. But I've never heard of this Yahweh. I don't know Yahweh. I'm not going to let you go. I'm not concerned about this God that you worship, Yahweh. What has he done for you? He's done nothing. And so Pharaoh has forgotten God as much as Egyptian society had forgotten God and Yahweh. The same God, the same Yahweh that had been the God of Noah and the God of Adam and the God of the families from which the Egyptians had come. They had forgotten God. And so now here he is looking with contempt at God as if God is powerless when he asks that question, who is Yahweh that I should listen to him? And so God demonstrates who he is through a series of plagues. And ultimately, God judges the false gods of the Egyptians. In fact, as we fast forward through the story in, Genesis, in Exodus chapter 12, and verse 12, as God is about to bring the Israelites out of Egypt, and he's telling them that he's going to bring that final plague of death of the firstborn upon the Egyptians, notice the words of God carefully. Exodus 12, verse 12. For I will go through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And then notice this next phrase. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. You see, the question begins in chapter 5 and verse 2. Who is Yahweh? And God says, I am Yahweh. And I will show Egypt. I will show Pharaoh who I am. So let's look at some of these things. Just quickly as we come back to uh, Exodus chapter 5, Moses is standing before Egypt and, and, and Pharaoh uh, refuses to let the Israelites go. And so in Exodus chapter 7, God brings the plague of turning the Nile into blood. And to you and I, that sounds kind of gross. We would not like to have the greatest river in our land turned to blood. But to the Egyptians, it was something bigger because they had a god of the Nile, Osiris. And the legend that they had with Osiris 
is that with the annual flooding of the Nile that represented the continual cycle of Osiris being put to death and being put into the deep and then rising up. And so by God bringing, turning the Nile into blood, that was him demonstrating his power over Osiris. And then we see a little bit later in the next chapter that in chapter 8, God brings frogs upon the land of Egypt. Now that's good if you're a TCU fan. But the Egyptians had a god called Hect, H-E-K-T. That was the frog god. And they worshipped the frog god as a fertility god. Think about that for a second, and then think about the plague. The plague is that suddenly there are so many frogs that they are everywhere. They're in their houses. They're in their dishes. They're in everything that they have so that they are so sick of frogs. God is demonstrating his power over Hecht, the frog god. And go a little bit further. Same chapter, about verse 16. God brings a pestilence of flies. Some translations will say gnats. Uh, we're not really sure what sort of flying insect this was other than it was a flying insect. And this is important because in the Egyptian priesthood, if you had any sort of thing like that on you, you would be unclean. And so God is demonstrating his power that your priests cannot even serve your gods because they are unclean. Because I have made them unclean. God is demonstrating his power over their ability to worship and, and serve. As we go a little bit further into chapter 9, if I can get my pages to flip, we have God destroying the cattle bringing a plague upon the cattle so that the, the cattle die. Uh, and that's important because one of the primary gods of the Egyptians was Apis, the bull god. You often see the, uh, the, the, the image of a bull associated with Egypt. And he symbolizes strength and, again, fertility and, 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 and energy and vitality and all of those things. And the fact that that god, the bull god, the one that brings life, the one that brings vitality and energy is himself killed in the form of all the cattle of Egypt. Is God demonstrating his power over that God? The very next plague, same chapter, chapter 9, verse 8, is the, the plague of boils. This is very interesting because the Egyptian priests would take ashes and they would throw them up in the air and their thought was that upon whoever those ashes landed would come blessings. And so if you were a person of means, you might call for an Egyptian priest to come in and, and take some ashes and, and throw them up in the air above you so that you might be blessed. Only God tells Moses, I want you to take some of these ashes from a kiln and throw them up into the air, and everyone in Egypt will be covered in boils. I've never had a boil. But I heard they're not nice. I heard they're not good. I heard that they're painful. And so everyone in Egypt suddenly has this. God, again, demonstrating his power over the worship and the, the religion of the Egyptians. In that same chapter, chapter 9, verse 18, 
God tells Moses, I want you to lift up your hands. Uh, I want you to uh, speak to Pharaoh and tell him I'm going to bring hell upon the land of Egypt and it's going to destroy the crops of Egypt. And that happens. And the Egyptians had different gods of the air. They had Shu, the Egyptian god of the atmosphere, Horus and Muth, which are the gods that you often see, uh, the bird gods, that represented, uh, again, gods, deities over uh, the air. And then you had Nut, the sky goddess. And these gods were supposed to protect the atmosphere, the, the realm of the sky, the realm of weather. Instead of them being able to bless Egypt with great weather, maybe some rain for their crops, instead they bring hell, which destroys their crops. Folks, Egypt is in tatters at this point. Their cattle have been destroyed. Their crops have now been destroyed. God has demonstrated the power over their various gods, but it's not done yet. As we turn the page and we go to the next chapter, chapter 10, we see the plague of locusts. And again, the gods that the Egyptians worshipped included Nepri, the grain god, and Anubis, uh, which again looks kind of like a, a half-human, uh, half-bull uh, 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 type of uh, creature. They were guardians of the fields, and men was the deity of the harvest. All of these gods are shown to be nothing. They can't protect the grain fields. They can't protect the, the agriculture of Egypt. As whatever the hell has left, now the locusts come and the locusts eat those things. There's nothing left in Egypt. Egypt is being destroyed. And then finally, we come to chapter 11. Darkness comes across the land. God tells Moses, I want you to go in there and tell Pharaoh that if he doesn't let the people go, there's going to be a darkness for three days. A darkness so black that you can feel it. But in the land of Goshen, where the Hebrews are, there'll be light. This was important because the primary God, the overseen God in Egyptian theology and polytheism was Ra, the sun god. And so the fact that God makes the land of Egypt go dark for three days, and yet in the land of Goshen where they keep the Hebrew slaves, there was to be light, demonstrates God's power and dominion over their greatest God. But that's not the last plague. The final plague is God says, I'm going to take the firstborn of every child in Egypt, even the son of Pharaoh. And Pharaoh was considered by the Egyptians to be the incarnation of Ra. And his son would be that next incarnation of Ra. And so when that plague comes, God has demonstrated his power over every aspect of Egyptian worship and religion. He has answered the question for Pharaoh, who is Yahweh that I should listen to him? God demonstrates, I am Yahweh. What's revealed by these plagues? Besides the fact that God says, I am Yahweh, what does this depict? What does this reveal about the character of God? There are a number of things that it reveals. 
First of all, it reminds us that God is universal. God is the God of all men. We often associate the God of the Old Testament as being the God of the Israelites. But really, they were chosen to be his people to demonstrate the quality and the characteristics of who God is. His compassion. His kindness. His patience. All those things were to be seen through the people of Israel. And they would blow it time and time again as his people. But God is the God of everyone. And he would use nations, and he would do things with different nations, and he would bless different nations. His interactions were not just with Israel, but with all the nations. And God demonstrates his universality in the sense that he gives Egypt an opportunity to repent. He gives Pharaoh an opportunity to repent. Let the Israelites go. But because of Pharaoh's stubbornness, of course, that does not happen. For us today, this also demonstrates that God is not limited to one area of our lives. When you think about all the different ways that God demonstrated his power over the polytheism and the religion of the Egyptians, they thought, you know what, God, there's a God over here, and, and this God over here, he kind of controls the weather. He kind of controls the atmosphere. And so if you want good weather and you want good atmosphere, uh, You'll give sacrifices and worship to this God over here. If you want the Nile to, to continue to raise in its, in, in its annual cycle and to bless the land with rich crops uh, because of, uh, of the sediment and all the good things that that flood brings, uh, you'll thanks for Osiris. And, and it just went on and on and on. Little gods to control little pieces of life. But God is the God of all. He works in every aspect of our lives. He is Lord of every aspect of our lives. We, we don't get to say, oh, it's Sunday morning, so we're going to go worship God on Sunday morning, and then on Friday night, we're going to be over here doing this. Completely about God. He's the God in our worship. He's the God in our work, whatever our work may be. He's the God in our relationships, whatever kind of relationships we're talking about, romantic, friendships, other types of relationships that we might have. He's in all and through all and for all. And so God is universal. We also need to remember that idea that Peter gives us in 2 Peter chapter 3, 9, that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He's not just for a select few, but he's universal. We also see God's authority. God demonstrated his power, and this reveals his authority. God dealt judgment on Egypt because of their treatment of Israel. Sooner or later, all men will face judgment before God. That's not something we like to talk about, and that's kind of a taboo topic uh, for some folks, but the reality is, at some point, everyone will give an account to God for the things done in their lives, whether good or bad. And the reality is, we all have the bad stuff, but it was the blood of Christ that covers us for that bad stuff. 
And the question is, are you going to be in Christ or not? But we're all going to face God's authority and God's judgment in our lives. We see God's great patience. Eleven times through these plagues, God gives Pharaoh an opportunity to let Israel go. But eleven times, Pharaoh does not. So again, we think to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, I'm not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Finally, we see God as the great promise keeper. God promised Abraham, really, or God promised Adam, really he promised uh, Eve and the serpent that the descendant of Eve would crush the serpent's head. Even though the serpent might bruise his heel, there is a promise there. God promised Abraham, through your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. But more concretely, as we think about the plagues of Egypt, God tells Abraham, as we've already mentioned, in uh, Genesis chapter 15, look, your descendants aren't going to get this land right away, this land of Canaan. They're going to be wanderers and sojourn in a land that is not theirs, where they will eventually be enslaved and oppressed for 400 years, and then I will bring them out of that land, and I will punish those who oppress them. And folks, that's what God is doing with Egypt. In fact, Pharaoh's going to change his mind one more time and send out his army to reclaim the Israelites. And you know what happens. As they cross the Red Sea, the Israelites are able to cross through and make it to the other side. And the Egyptians are drowned in the caving walls of water. And the text actually says that Pharaoh sent out his army and not one of them returned. Everything in Egypt was decimated. God keeps his promises. There are four responses that we might give as we think about God and the story of Egypt and the plagues. The first response that we might have is the same response that we see with Pharaoh. He acts in arrogance in chapter 5 and verse 2, Who is Yahweh that I should listen to him? And sometimes we're given the answers and we're shown who God is in all his glory, all his authority, all his power, all his grace, all his compassion, all his patience, and all his love. But instead... We respond like Pharaoh. In chapter 8, verse 28, as Pharaoh is confronting the plague of the frogs, he says in verse 28, I will let you go that you may sacrifice the Lord your God in the wilderness. Only you shall not go very far away. Make supplication for me. And so he has a crisis in his life. And he says, oh, make supplication for me. And so for a moment, we turn to God. But look what happens just two verses later, or four verses later, verse 32. But Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also. He did not let the people go. Pharaoh refuses to repent. He refuses to acknowledge God to his own demise. There are some magicians in Pharaoh's court who tried to replicate some of the things that Moses was able to do, and they, they do so on a couple of them at the outset. Chapter 7, verse 11, verse 22, and 8, verse 8 as well. 
They're able to replicate those things, and so perhaps they had some ignorance. But, time, but by the time they get to chapter 8 and verse 19, they're not able to do the things that God's able to do anymore. They're not able to replicate those things. And they come to Pharaoh, chapter 8, verse 19, and to say, this is the finger of God. If you don't stop this, Pharaoh, God's going to destroy Egypt. Verse 19, but Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he did not listen to them. And yet, as we come towards the end, chapter 9, verse 20, some of those appear to begin looking to God. Then one among the servants, the one among the servants of Pharaoh who feared the word of the Lord, made his servants and his livestock flee into the houses. So as the hell was coming, there were some of those Egyptian magicians and maybe some of those in the Egyptian court who heard what Moses was saying, and they said, I'm getting my livestock, I'm getting my servants, I'm putting them under shelter because I've seen what this God can do. They're beginning to understand and, and acknowledge who God is. And then we have the Egyptian people themselves. They seem to go along just fine with abusing the, the Israelites, but by the time the plagues reach, they evidently, many of them, have turned to follow God. Look at chapter 12. Verse 38. Now we'll start in verse 37. Now the sons of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot aside from children. And then notice verse 38. A mixed multitude also went up with them, along with flocks and herds and a very large number of livestock. In other words, it was a mixed multitude. It wasn't just all Israelites that went out with Israel. But there were others that went with them. Perhaps others that had seen what God had done and decided to join the people of Israel. They joined, decided to join with God. And then there were the faithful Israelites who listened to God when he said, put the blood of the lamb on the door frames of your houses, on the lentils and above the doors. And whoever is covered by the blood of the Lamb, I will give them life. I will let them escape from the angel of death. And I will lead them out of bondage. Which response is your response? As you think about who God is. Is your response to be like Pharaoh and ignore the power of God, the authority of God? Is your response to be like some of those uh, who saw the things that God had done and to acknowledge His power, but, but maybe you don't change too much in your life. Or maybe your response is like those of some of those Egyptians who saw the power of God and chose to join God's people, chose to be a part of God's people. Or maybe you're one of those faithful who's doing everything you can to walk faithfully with God. It's okay to ask the question, who is Yahweh? Who is God? But when you see who He is, you see His love, His compassion, His patience, His power, His authority, will you follow God? Or will you act in a different way? If you're here this morning and your choice is to follow God by being united with Jesus in His death, burial, and resurrection through baptism, or if you have other needs of the church that you need to, or other needs that you want the church to be aware of, then we can encourage you. Whatever your need, won't you come? Together we stand and sing.